You're listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protean Machining. And this week, I'm joined by Travis Lear of Alien Tools. Welcome, Travis. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Our, our mutual friend, Marv, reached out to me and said, you know, you got to have this guy on there. It's a cool story. It's cool tooling. So I, I appreciate Marv for making the connection and really look forward to hearing the story. So, so we talked before we started, how does a... American end up in Germany making a tool company, you know, let's, let's get into it. How, how did you get to where you are? Yeah. Who's not a machinist. I should start off by saying that <laughs> clarify. <laughs> well, that, that makes the story even more interesting. So born and raised in Seattle, don't have any German roots or anything. Spent my whole life in Seattle. My dad was a Marine electrician. So working on the boats, like on that you see on deadliest catch, some of them. So we had a That's lot of, cool. yeah, he had his, he had his own company called Buzz Electric. His name was Buzz. He was a very creative guy. <laughs> so I grew up with machines and, and, you know, a passion for knowing how things work. And that, that started then really on. And then went to UW, got accepted to the electrical engineering department, but found out pretty quickly that I didn't like electrical engineering. It was a mix of the group that I was in with and I felt too limited. I want to do something more broad. And as I explain this, I, I think you'll see that I've been extremely lucky with a couple of people that have, that I've met along the way. So one summer when I was at UW, my roommate was one of my best friends from high school, his older brother. And this guy was a business guru. So in high school, started his first business, like with a coupon website. He got us back into them when you were, you could buy domain names and resell them, which we had no idea about. So that was pretty nice in college for side money. But I mean, he was the youngest stockbroker in America. So at wow. 17, at 17, had to divorce his parents so he can be declared an adult to get his broker's license. So. <laughs> Smart guy. And he just recently in the last couple of years sold his company to Snapchat. So holy cow. He is now very rich. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it. That, that sounds like such a cool person to be exposed to though, especially so early, you know, so young. Yeah. Crazy dumb luck. It was my, like I said, best friend's older brother and we lived together for a summer and I saw his creativity and how much he actually loved business. Cause I mean, when you're in college, you're not really focused on that sort of stuff. I, I sure wasn't at least. No, but, <laughs> but he was, I mean, morning to nights, it was all business and I've, I kind of caught that fire and I, so the next year I applied to business school at the UW and got rejected <laughs> because, oh no, yeah, my, I messed around too much on my freshman year. I think grades were weren't strong enough to get in, but he was also rejected from the business school. So <laughs> they're not the best judge of character. I guess. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but so I ended up, I had to, I had to pick something and I ended up studying, studying economics and I really loved economics. That was one of the best things that I think could have happened because it was really the first experience it mixed in with the you know, grow up as a kid, want to know how everything works into a bigger, how do economies work, how to, you know, 
international relations work. And that really, I mean, I was this close to being an accountant and I'm so glad it, it didn't happen that way because an accountant tries to tell their own story from numbers that already exists. And an economist tries to explain what's going to happen based on what's happened in the past. So more of the practical implementation, I would say. So in 2004, I graduated and I don't, I don't know how old you are, but 2004 was a tough time in the job market. Yeah, I bought a little younger, but I remember, I, I definitely remember 2008 and you know, all of that. It was not a good time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny that you mentioned 2008 because I, I got exactly one job interview after college or my first job interview was set up by my friends, the business guy, and it was at some tech startup company in Seattle. Would have been awesome, but I seriously bombed the interview, like oh, real bad. Oh, no. <laughs> I, th I thought just knowing him would be enough. They'd be like, oh, we trust him. And then they asked me stuff like, I mean, how many job interviews have you had to do? Probably not very much, right? Uh, I don't know. N nothing serious. Like, I think I've only had a couple professional job interviews yeah and the like the the first job i got in machining was kind of not even really a job interview like they had a they had a craigslist ad up for a machinist who knew mastercam and i walked in being like hey i i don't know mastercam yet and i'm not a machinist yet but i'm going to school for it and so what what can we do and they were like well we cannot pay you and you can work here Oh, so I did that for like eight months or six months until they, until I knew enough and they felt like they could trust me and give me a paycheck. Oh, nice. Yeah. It worked out, but it was definitely like, I remember like at, at the time I was living at home and telling my mom what I wanted to do. And she was like, good luck. You know, this probably won't work out. <laughs> Shows you mom. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, at a, at a tech startup company is a little different. They I'm have sure. like their scientifically designed questions. And as, I mean, what are you 21 when you graduate? And they're asking questions like, they don't, I remember this one question was how much does a Boeing 747 weigh and explain your reasoning. Ooh, that's a tough one. And I just, I was so nervous and I think I explained it for 30 minutes, like just try it. Just, I felt if I kept on talking, eventually I would get to the answer. <laughs> like, and it all made them no with information. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> it all made zero sense, but it, so I did not get the job and then ended up getting a job at the largest privately held mortgage lender in the U S. So the, the market was really tough. So you're talking about 2008. So I started 2004 in banking and oh, mortgage banking, geez. <laughs> but it, but it doesn't go how, how you think it would be. I was, it was a right place, right time situation where they were kind of restructuring and I always, I always worked, you know, longer than anyone else that was and harder. And that's exactly what they were looking for in this restructuring. So. After about two years, I was already regional manager. So I have several branches of this oh, wow. company. So it went, it went very quickly. And then I was spending a lot of time. One of the branches was in Vegas. So a ton of hours and exactly what you think banking is extremely stressful. I don't think there's any more stressful transaction than buying a house 
and we're dealing with this hundreds of times a day. So it wasn't an easy job. It wasn't easy money, but the money, money was good. And then 2008 came and we were, we were in Bellevue, the office. So I live in Seattle mm-hmm. in the financial section of Bellevue and all the banks are on one street. And so you'd be driving to work one day and all the Washington mutual employees would be standing outside the building because they had just locked the doors. Oh, and that's was, super rough. Yeah. Se- several months like that. And so my wife is actually half German, half American. So the classic dad is a U.S. soldier. Mom is from a small town in Germany. And we just started making like backup plans. Okay. If I lose my job, then I get severance and we can take a year off and, and go to Germany. And what actually happened was the reason all these banks started going under is because they were doing all this shady, uh, all these shady loans. Um, right, the subprime. Yeah, subprime. Loans. We didn't get we didn't get into subprime at all. It was all a paper. So throughout the whole process, we became stronger. Oh wow! Um, and we ended up buying other banks. So then it was clear we were not going to be closing. So we had already made these plans to take off a year, and I was twenty seven at the time, and my boss was the owner. So I wasn't really going anywhere. You know, it was, it was a good job, good money, but at 27, you don't want to know how the story ends, you know? So we're just like, okay, we'll do our backup plan anyways, go to Berlin for a year. Cause we had done a little tour in Europe and I really loved Berlin. I said, okay, we'll stay there a year. I'll learn German as much as I can in a year. And then we'll come back. And so took the year off and that was 14 years ago or 13 years ago. <laughs> yeah the so, best laid plans right yeah so i'll go i'll try to move quickly <laughs> through this the once i got to germany it was just going to be a year of nothing you know like a sabbatical year and one of the clients from the bank actually reached out to me had found out so he was doing mortgage lending as like a side business and his real business was producing zirconia okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he had two big contracts, one with GE and one with NASA. And so it was pretty much automatic to make the same parts over and over. And then the dental industry started to change. I don't know how much you know about the the CAD CAM dental industry, but that is like a fairly recent development. So I don't know a whole bunch about it, but so I was one of the original Kickstarter backers for the Form 1, the uh, right. resin printer. Yeah. And I one way that I ended up paying off my Kickstarter backer pretty much or Kickstarter pledge was that I was one of the first on the forums to start doing test prints for other people who were interested in the printer because at the time forum labs would only let you, or, you know, only send you the rook that they had that little, you know, rook right. with staircase inside. And so I did prints for everything. I mean, I did like something for the advanced warrior project in India. I did like little toy things for some company in Berlin. I did. And one of the things that I did a few different prototypes of was dental molds for, I think actually a a company like a couple hours for me. Oh, really? So I, 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 I don't know a whole bunch about it, but I do know that there was quite a big shift, you know, right around that time of like, oh, we need to mill this or print it and mold it and things like that. Right. Printing is even, that's, that's taken off in the last four or five years and CAD cam in general 
is really only seriously been 10, 15 years, but it's this huge problem of, I mean, it's one of the oldest industries in the world, you know, fixing people's teeth and you go from hundreds of years of melting metals and carving wood. And then all of a sudden they say, okay, you need a computer and a machine. So it was a huge jump for these people. And they started buying these machines, but they, they don't really know how it all works. And the machines are set up that way. You can't really put your own tools into, into the, the strategies. You can't really change any of, any of the milling strategies. You just say, okay, they do the design and that automatically calculates based on their strategies. And if you want to get new strategies, you have to contact the machine manufacturer. And then there's this like little sub part of the industry where it's just consultants, where they, all they do is write strategies for other people or design uh -huh. for them. So how that fits into zirconia. <laughs> I, I was just about to ask you. <laughs> I was like, well, there's this dental thing and there's this zirconia <laughs> yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> kind of a side tangent there, but so the zirconia is only recently, it, it's a very, it's a white material and very strong. So stronger than any other dental white natural looking material that was previously out there, but it was too hard to mill. So even fully centered, it's, you know, really difficult to mill. And then, then they started this, okay, half centered. So the green state zirconia that you mill and then center it afterwards. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they designed it, you know, 40% bigger and then it shrinks during centering. And there was only a couple of companies in the world making the zirconia and zirconia was really starting to take off. And so he saw this opportunity, okay, we could switch you know, from doing this fully centered products to making our own zirconia powder, uh, pressing the blanks and then selling up for the different dental CAD CAM machines and contacted me because he knew me from the bank and said, you know, we'd really like to open a branch in, in Europe. And then I had no idea about the industry. I started looking into it and all the big competitors are here in Germany. Oh, really? Yeah. So I said, yeah, we can try. <laughs> I don't know. So then I spent the first year learning the joys of opening a company in Germany, which is fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure that they're known for having almost no regulation. Yeah, no, hardly, <laughs> hardly any red tape. I mean, for instance, to, to start a LLC, you need 25,000 in the bank. So. You need to show, I have 25,000 in the bank just for that company. And then every month you need to file returns for the first two years, at least. Holy cow. That's so restrictive. Yeah. So, to, I mean, the startup cost there, there's no like easing into the, okay, I can pay my accountant, you know, at the end of the year when I'm preparing the returns. No, it's starting every month. They control everything and it's insane how many different offices you have to go to, to get all the allowances, all the licenses and everything that you need. It, it's crazy. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, like, cause here you need like a hundred bucks to file yeah. the LLC paperwork and then you're an LLC. Like yeah. you could just never use it again and like not make any money with it. And it's still an LLC. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, the focus here in Germany is like 
the big business. You know, you have all the car manufacturers and all the huge German companies. And that's where you, I think you kind of start to see it where they lack in innovation because innovation is not coming from the big companies. Right. It's coming from the small startups that have yeah. nothing to lose and say, you know what, screw it. I'll, I'll try it and see if it works. And that's where all the good ideas come from. And that's really not promoted here in Germany very well. So you need someone that's just stubborn like me and we'll do it anyways. <laughs> okay. So you started this zirconia business. Right. And there's where I met the, just another dumb luck person that really changed the game for me. My neighbor that lived above me in our apartments, hardly anyone to have houses in Berlin. It's, it's all apartment complexes. And the people that lived, lived above us had two kids that were almost the same exact age as our kids. We ended up becoming friends with them. And he was a professor doctor of marketing at a university here in Berlin. And he's okay. like, oh, that's really interesting. You started a company and started asking me all these questions about marketing and branding. And I had, I had grown the bank business, but not really with marketing. It was really just quality of, of product and turn times and that sort of stuff. And the, this was a totally different beast. You know, you have to find the customers and I've, I've never cold called in my life. I've would never do that because I just find that really awkward <laughs> to call people and ask for business. I 100% agree. I think it takes a special kind of person to, yeah. who's, who's comfortable cold calling for just sure. A, a, someone who embraces rejection. Yes. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I really had, I mean, I had general understandings of how to do marketing, but I mean, he's a professor, doctor, and I just spent so many nights and we had spent time at the office having beers and, and talking about theories and then just on our terrace barbecues. So endless nights, just learning from him and he can take these really complex ideas and then explain it. I mean, he's a, he's a professor, so explain it really simply. And that really changed my, my whole understanding of how branding and, and marketing works, how, and it fits into economics because economics, you have constants, like one of the constants in economics is everyone's going to do what's best for themselves. And as far as marketing and branding, there are also some, it's, it's mostly psychology as far as these things generally humans like. So then you, you appeal to that. And one of the things is really to be able to speak to that audience, you have to know that audience really well. And so I spent several years like in this world of testing out different marketing and branding and messaging and, and it works really well and in the, in the dental fields, because there's, it's all brand new. I found that if you, if you focus on one sales point, that's different that they understand it goes a long way. And so essentially building this brand from, from scratch and that's where I met Stefan Sesha. <laughs> so we, uh, have you, have you ever had to do a trade show before? No, 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 no. We're, we're much too small. I mean, I've been to them though. Like we're, we're going to IMTS this year. Yeah. And we've been a couple of times. 
yeah, but uh, you've never had to stand on a no, no, no on a no. trade show booth for five days and Definitely. tell the same story over a thousand times. <laughs> like, don't, don't get me wrong. I I like trade shows mostly for meeting the customers. You know, it's a it's a meeting point of already existing customers. Getting new customers is really difficult, just for based on the industry. You know, something like tools or Zaconia, they first get a sample and they test it, and then if it's good, then you know, it's a very long process, but the trade shows are great for the, the human interaction, but there's a lot of people that come by <laughs> and are trying to sell you stuff. And then everyone says, you know, like, oh, I can be your partner in this country, or I can help you with your videos. You're constantly getting sold. And so I was at the largest dental trade show is every two years in Cologne called the IDS. And we had a huge booth. And I was already there a week beforehand helping build the booth. So all day, every day. So after a week of building and actually wired that booth myself. Nice. Callback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Callback. Shout out. Shout out to my pops. I was already really tired when, when it started. And then the first day is always distributor day. So all the people coming wanting to resell your products come and it's always about price, 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 price. And I've, I've never been involved in a, in a product that sells over price like that. You know, that price was a sales point that it, we're the cheapest. And that's what a lot of distributors are looking for. And that's a tough selling point in any business. Yeah. Like I that, mean, that's always the toughest. Yeah. Because the next guy comes by is five bucks cheaper and customer's gone. Exactly. So what, I don't know. I, I would imagine it's hard to build an actual like brand that people are fans of, you know, just being really cheap. Right. I've never tried it. The, so to, on, I think day three, I'm standing at the, at the booth and Stefan Sesha walks to the booth with one of his salespeople and I had no idea who he was. And he tries to break the ice. So he comes straight for me, introduce himself as Stefan Sesha. I didn't know him. I didn't know the, the company. And he said, I'm a friend of this person. And the person he named, I did not like at all. I didn't trust this guy at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I immediately said, oh, nice to meet you. Here's my friends. And so I pass him off to somebody else. <laughs> and he, he loves telling that story. <laughs> oh yeah. You're like, no, let me get rid of this guy. I, I can't stand his friend. Yeah. I, no, I, no, I thought it was another one of, trying to tell me something. Right. So I, yeah, I immediately, I mean, I did it nicely, but it was still clear that I passed him off. That, that messaging was not lost on him, but it, he ended up talking to one of the employees there and what he didn't know is we were in the middle of, of looking at horizontal expansion. So offering products to go along with our zirconia and one of them being tools. And we were testing a lot of tools from everywhere and just seeing what, because the, the zirconia was the product placement was top quality, but not as expensive as the most expensive, you know, so it was price to value aimed to be the best. And so we were looking for a tool that was the same and we were already in the middle of a couple months of testing 
different stuff, hadn't really found something that was perfect. And he talked to the employee. They agreed he would send him some tools to test. And then I get a call from this guy a week later and he said, these tools are way better than, oh, wow. than anything we've been testing so far. And I thought that sounded strange. I, I didn't see how tools could have that huge of a quality difference. And I didn't know the prices at all at this point. I said, okay, if they're that much better, then they're probably way too expensive. But I, I thought I would call Stefan and ask if I could, you know, come tour the facility and ask some questions. And so I, I called him hoping that he would forget that I, that I was rude. <laughs> <laughs> I know he is a chorus is very polite and acted like he didn't remember and invited me to, to come see it. And the, I thought it, I would get like the general tour of part of the facility and he would kind of give me the sales points. And to my surprise, he was totally open, showed me every part of production explained to me in detail why there these huge quality differences where they could happen. And one of them being, you know, not all coatings are made the same. So for instance, we, at to that point, my, my knowledge of coatings was, okay, there's DLC and there's diamond coating and everyone tries to sell diamond coating as DLC. And I, so I knew that much was different and. He explained to me in that meeting, showed me a bunch of different diamond coatings. And I was like, ah, okay. So that makes sense. And then he showed me a top secret project they were working on, which was taking one of these multi-layered diamond coatings. So not just long crystals. I don't know how deep your knowledge is of diamond coating. I've used it, but that's what I, I definitely yeah. am probably where you were when you went on that tour, you know, I, right. I know of them, I know where they work best sometimes. And that's, that's about it. Right. But it, I mean, even with, with real diamond coating, there's huge differences also in manufacturing processes. Like all, as far as I had known is the standard long diamond crystals and multi-layer coating is actually alternating layers of nano and micro crystals. So you don't have these long crystals that have a really jagged surface. And what happens is if one of the crystals gets damaged, it breaks the coating all the way down to the carbide. And with the, the micro layers, it stops at the next layer because it's not one huge single layer. Oh, interesting. Okay. So the, the coating lasts a really long time. And then he showed me what they were working on as the next generation of diamond coating because it's still eight to 10 microns thick, this coating. So you have a rounding at the cutting edge. Uh -huh. And it, it's always been the goal to get a perfectly sharp cutting edge because even the inconsistencies, that's where the, the damage comes from. And so if you can get it perfectly sharp, then if you use it too properly, the, depending on the material, you'll never lose the coating. And so he showed me this new laser machine from Rollomatic that they were I mean, even Rollomatic, they didn't d design the machine for that, or they didn't, they didn't know how to do what Session was doing at that point. And they still can't do it at the, that small of diameter that Session was doing. Really? So what, the, what they do is take this multi-layer coating and then sharpen the cutting edges with a laser on each side. So perfectly sharp, straight cutting edge. And he showed me that 
my my first meeting. I mean, we didn't have any <laughs> deal or anything. Wow. And it just showed me through. I mean, they they will have everything. This huge machine park full of Rome, so top of the line, so millions of euros worth of machines, and then just lines of of people on microscopes checking every single tool that goes out of there. I mean, you you immediately understood why it was different. And so I thought, okay, this is the partner that I was looking for. And then he told me the price and it was reasonable that he wanted to sell it. I said, perfect, let's do it. I still had one question of why he wanted to have me. Still had the, the question about why people weren't lined up at his door, right? If right. the tools were that good, why isn't every machine manufacturer? Because in in the dental field, typically the machine manufacturer sells the tools and they know that their customer doesn't have experience with any other tools. And they, they tell them stuff like, our tools are made for our tooling strategies, which, oh. is, which is completely ridiculous. Right. Or that they'll lose their warranty if they use, you know, other companies' tools. It's, it's crazy. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just telling them impossible stuff and knowing that these people have no idea. So that, okay, we'll use the tools. And he said that he had previously tried to join the dental market by going to machine manufacturers. And they had tested tools and every one of them told him, no, they last too long. Oh, we won't make any money. Yeah. The printer yeah. model. It, yeah. You know, if the ink lasts forever, you can't, why would you sell a cheap printer? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So... And there, there was no one really introducing, at least to a, at an effective level, that was making waves through through the market. You know, industrial quality tools for the for the dental market. I said, perfect. We had set up everything, which tools we wanted. They started producing. I became really obsessed with with tools and coding because I I had to find the one thing that I could explain to a market that that doesn't really understand anything about the tooling where they would think, okay, that makes sense. And we were shortly before getting the first delivery. And then I got a call from Seattle that the company had been sold. So, no way. Yeah. So any open projects, they got bought by a huge company, any open projects that were not closed yet. And we didn't have any contracts. It was all handshake deals. So it was immediately canceled. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. It, it was not, I felt absolutely terrible because I don't, I'd really grown to love this company. Like the people there, if you're ever in Germany, I'll take you there. And I, cause I, I think everyone tries to say, you know, here we're family, but I've, I've worked for family companies or worked with family companies. And this is the one where it really does feel like it's a group of people that work like a family and I'd be mean, just full of awesome people. It's so. I, re I really wanted to, I, I felt terrible and I called him immediately and explained what had happened. And I said, give me two weeks, come to Berlin and I'll pitch an idea of how I would enter the dental market as, as Tesho or as, as its own brand. And he said, okay. So two weeks later, I came to Berlin and I pitched the idea of alien tools as a, initially as a present. So as a gift, as an apology, because I had no idea what would be happening with my position. And 
I thought he would immediately think it's crazy because, you know, it's not very typical of a German family-owned company that's been doing it for 60 years, that they're so open to take risks like that. But he immediately said, he likes it. Now I have to present it to the production team. <laughs> okay. So this might be a good time because I, I know personally, I've never used any Zesha tooling and I'm not sure what their presence is over here. So for those who are listening, who don't know what they do and what they excel in, can you explain where they started and, you know, what kind like, obviously dental market they're in, but like, what are they known for? Well, the, the dental, the alien tools project was really their entry in the dental before that they didn't really do anything dental except for big dental companies that make implants and stuff like that. They're not very big in America because of how successful they are in the Germany, Austria, Switzerland region. So the, the focus has really been there, not really export markets, but they made the choice to focus on, on micro tooling. So it started 60 years ago, next year, his Stefan's father started the company. He worked at a normal job shop and then it was common in those days to have in the evenings you'd have your own grinding machine and then make tools as, as side projects for stuff that the company didn't want to do and stuff like that so that is how it started his dad got a loan for the bank for his first grinding machine they had no space in the house so it was in his childhood bedroom so <laughs> his dad would be in there grinding you know micro tools there in the evenings i know it's southwest germany's big watch industry so that that's where it was really where it really started is in the watch industry and that's why the focus on on micro tools and for years it kind of stayed as this small micro tooling for the watch industry and stefan got involved and and that's when they really started pushing for this bigger international bigger portfolio and grew, I think when he took over the company, it was eight people. I'm going to have to ask him about that, if that's correct. But somewhere around there, it was fairly small to now over 250 people. So with their real focus on, on ultra precise micro tools and innovation as far as coding and, and cutting edge and where that's really useful is in, in a ton of industries. If I could tell you the partners that they have, it would be clear that it's, you know, top of the line stuff, but it all, all focus on very precise. And that's why every tool is, is checked. You know, they don't do this sample of a production lot, make sure that's okay. Every right. single tool is looked at multiple times during the production process. And because of that focus on the, the micro tooling, that's where they've really made their name. Okay, great. So back to this, you presented alien tools to him. He had to go back to his team. Where did things and, go from there? Yeah, he, he kind of hinted at them that this American was going to come and pitch this idea and they wanted their <laughs> And there, there's a couple of things. So I, I pitched the idea of this alien. I've, I'll explain a little bit of reasoning of why it's, it's alien. We had a question. Chief Bub, Alex Curran asked, why is it called alien tools? Yeah, it, you have to set yourself out, you know, apart in the industry. 
And if you look at all of our competitors, it's all family name. You know, it's just like Sesha tools. And I wanted something where it was during my presentation, for example, I Googled carbide and mills and there was, you know, a million pages and it looked all, all different or all the same. And I said, what if we were somehow able to color them? And he said, what do you mean? I was like, that's a, a standard marketing branding strategy is it looks different. It must be different. We know we have different tools. We have to communicate it somehow visually and with all the choices in the world need to try to find that one thing that makes person stop scrolling. Like, oh, right. Check that out more. I use a lot of destiny tools and they have yeah. a tight, I think it's a titanium diboride co coating, but it's, they call it their stealth coating and it's black. Yeah. And the black rubs off and they had to like release, you know, a blog post that was like, Hey guys, that's just coloring. Like it's actually a clear coating. <laughs> it was just our stealth coating. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I, I've seen it before. <laughs> yeah. I remember that the, the, the color coatings have been around for a while, but I, I'd initially pitched that we, that we do every tool green and that would have been too annoying. Is that, yeah, it's possible, but too expensive. And, but they, they ended up liking the idea. So alien, I just wanted something that was to do with futuristic that had a lot of room that you could play with for branding and being here, I am technically an alien. So I thought it's all fit perfectly. Yeah. I like that. And if, if you've, if you've seen the alien, the actual like caricature, he's always wearing Chuck tees and that's a shout out to my Seattle home. Okay. That's great. Yeah. So to, I, I pitched that. And when I got to the coloring part, that's where it kind of split them. <laughs> they, they were like, no one needs that. And I tried to explain and it, I thought it would be fairly easy. It turned out not to be, but how, how we color them is it's, they have a, a plasma machine. So it creates plasma cloud. And then you have to put the tool on, um, you have to get electricity to the tool and then the plasma cloud sticks on it. So you can never make it the same color. That's why it's always this rainbow color and it, everyone looks different, which I didn't think was bad. I thought that was kind of, kind of cool. And then we got to the point where they wanted to do it quicker. The method they had was, was taking too long. They said, we need just this stainless steel plate with holes in it and then it's twice as fast and, but it left as a ring of uncolored. And I was like, I don't want to upset anyone, but I'm not, <laughs> not <laughs> I think we could do it cooler. And I ended up, I'll show you this on camera. They won't see it on the, the podcast, but we make these little printed holders because it, it needs the metal contact. And so if you have the metal plate, you put it on the holder and then it actually leaves a hexagonal design. Also, I'll send you some pictures what it ends oh, up. Oh, okay. That That's can't, cool. Can't really see. I'll, do, I'll send some pictures, but it leaves like a, a design. And that's purely because we needed some holding. Uh, is that a printed metal mesh or something? No, this is, this is just SLA. Oh, okay. And then it just needs the contact with the plate on the bottom. So the tool goes in and then whatever is not covered by the mesh is then colored. Gotcha. And it, 
ended up being really cool. So, and, and speeding out the process. So it's a love hate relationship with production. I asked them to do a bunch of annoying stuff, <laughs> but yeah, so we, we pitched that and got it started and immediately in the dental field. Most, I think, tooling, machining industry works the same. It's very word of mouth oriented. And we were really the only tool company being so aggressive with making the tool as the main product. Because usually until that point, it was just a side product, a plus product to their machine. And I started the argument of that's insane. This is the contact point of the machine and the material, you know, it may be the smallest part of the production, but it's extremely important. Yeah. Well, I've had the other people describe tooling as like the, the tires on your car. Like it's where, you know, everything meets, like yeah. it, it's gotta be good. Otherwise yeah. it's just, you know, it doesn't matter how high horsepower your car is. If you got garbage tires, you're not going anywhere. Right. No, yeah, exactly. And what, that really, it was. It was, it was definitely a pain point of the industry that they didn't even realize existed. So they kept on having tools that were breaking or material that was chipping to the point that now machine manufacturers that offer their own tools, their service technicians, they are the ones that want the customer to be happy, you know? Right. So they'll tell their customer, you know, try alien tools. So we get calls all the time or, I I heard your tools are great. I can't say from who. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's okay. great. It's because yeah. they know they're going back if it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and then it it really took off in the dental world. That's awesome. So you had sent me some show notes, and I want to get into that iguana milling challenge because that seems like you know a big piece of marketing. Lots of partners. Super cool. A Let's start with just the name. Why Iguana Milling Challenge? And then let's get into what it was and, and how it all went. Yeah. So you could, uh, you could see that the whole Alien Tools experience the last couple of years has kind of loosened them up at Sesha. They're willing to experiment with a little more things. And Iguana, Sesha has their, their tool lines in, it's always animal names. So they have Peacock, Iguana. They're now getting into insects, but yeah. It is what it is. Okay. So it's always, always animal based. And this is the secret technology that he showed me at my first visit. So they had finally figured out how to do it, not only on flat tools, but on curved cutting edges. That was the, that was the big jump that was, was holding back this, this whole product. They, they figured it out and it, it extends. So. If you're paying 20 bucks for a normal, normal tool, it lasts 10 hours. This with this coding, if used properly, there's customers that it lasts 2000, 3000 hours in copper. Jeez. That's insane. But, but the tool costs, you know, over 300 euros. Right. If you, if you're able to calculate a price per unit or price per minute per day then it's clearly the cheaper tool, but that's such a huge price difference. So they usually spend 20 bucks versus this. And they had the, I mean, I think the same thing when I, when I see these 
claims by companies, you know, our tools last blah, 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 or our product is that much better. You don't really believe it. They're clearly trying to sell their product and they really had this problem. First of all, no one believed it. Why is this little company in Southwest Germany, why are they on the cutting edge of, oh, that's, that's a bad pun, cutting edge of cutting edges. <laughs> why are they, why would this company be on the forefront there? And so that they had finally, after 10 years of trying different and waiting for the technology to catch up, to be able to actually do it, they had accomplished it. And then they were having immediate pushback from the market. I don't really believe you. And, I, and at that point, that's kind of a hard test phase. You know, they pay 300 bucks, you test it for 3000 hours and you tell them it's like, it's good. You right. know, it's not, a, not a quick test. Then they had found out that they won the innovation prize for the state that they're in, in Germany, they're in Baden-Württemberg and they won first prize for the innovation for this coding. And we had just found out about that. And I was sitting at dinner with Stefan talking about this. And at the time I was watching, you probably know Salvum makes the keyboards yeah. in Belgium. Mm -hmm. I was watching his Twitch live streams of, of him machining the keyboards or doing assembles and found that to be a really good storytelling platform, you know, the, the live streams, something that I w wasn't really involved with beforehand. And I, we're sitting there at dinner and I said, why don't we show them? And they said, what do you mean? I said, we just put the tool. We were about to get a, a can Kern, sorry, mm -hmm. in, in American English, <laughs> they were, they were building this technology room so we could run our own tests. Most of until that point, tests have mostly been done at customers based on customers wishes, but we wanted an in-house machine where we can run our own tests and we were about to get the Kern. And I said, why don't we show them the current's coming? It's about to be Christmas break. There's nothing planned for the machine. Anyways, we just put the tool in and let it mill. And I said, yeah, but no one's going to believe that we did that. I said, yeah, we live stream it. And that was really like a, took a lot of explaining what, what, <laughs> right, what, why, what exactly how? live stream. And, it, and the first feedback was, uh, oh, you're crazy. That's, you know how much money that would cost. And then, so the, the idea was kind of nixed at that dinner we we moved on and then the next morning we're in the office and stefan's like what do, what is this live streaming thing again <laughs> you planted the bug yeah so then then we made this this plan we wanted to use only one tool and just let it run for as long as it could just milling we hadn't decided what we were going to mill and the other owner of Esha is Raina Kirschner. And he's a big coin collector and we hadn't sold. So I'd sold Stefan on the idea, but we hadn't sold Aina. <laughs> and we said, okay, how are we, how are we going to convince him? And then we said, oh, we can build coins. Then I'll go for it. <laughs> so we, we pitched it to him and he's all good. So then we, we didn't really have a lot of time to plan because it was, I mean, there was a lot to the plan where, how is our work holdings going to be? What exactly we're going to mill? We want to do test mills. And we only had a couple of weeks to do it. And no one had ever done a live stream before. No live events. Clearly, no one was in front of the camera very often. <laughs> right. As you can see. I, I, since I'm the only native English speaker, I had to be the host. And yeah, that was quite the experience. And I don't know if you've watched the starting video. So we did a dress rehearsal of the the day before, 
Uh, we were, had this romantic idea of we were going to have uh, Stefan's mom, who helped start the company, come and start the machine. Uh, <laughs> have you have you seen it? I think I have. Yeah, because I think <laughs> you sent me the the video. Yeah, and so she does a little speech and everything, and then goes to the machine, hits the start button, and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> and we tested everything the day before and someone had changed a one a zero to a one so the machine thought that there was already a piece in there and so that was just a fantastic moment first live stream starting the event and then i'm just standing there and there you saw marvin live in action so marv was on the phone within two minutes on the machine fixed it and then we were able to go so, so how many coins did you make and how long did it run for? And because that that's online now, right? People go watch the video. Right. So we, we have kind of like the summary video because it went for 31 days. So that's nonstop. Amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> and just one tool. We, do, we didn't want it to be, I mean, it wasn't a super aggressive milling strategy, but it was in the material the entire time. That's what we wanted to show. And. So we milled, ended up milling 28 coins. Every design was kind of from our partner to thank them for, for joining that. I mean, there was, there was a ton of companies involved and it, it just kept on going and going. And we're, we were, I mean, I'm sure we were the only ones watching the live stream the whole time because we all wake <laughs> up in the morning and this machine's still running. And what twice it, or one time it wasn't running, the machine had stopped. So very early in the morning and what had happened was the water coolant for the machine that's on the internal of the machine was hooked up to the Tesha line. And that was a brand new line to this machine. And something had happened during the installation that a bunch of dirt got knocked loose from this installation and immediately went in the machine, into the machine. Oh no. So they, they say you have to change this filter. Like if you ever have to change it once a year, you know, so twice a year. And it was filled up after two days. <laughs> and so again, the machine was, was dead for a day, but then from Kern, they brought an external coolant system so that within 24 hours, we were up and running again. So it, it, the stream went for 32 days, but it milled for 31 days, okay. <laughs> there was one day. but all the same tool and I, I said that was the only way that we could get people to believe us. If you just have a live stream that anyone can go back and, and look through the hours and hours and hours of video if they want. I'll definitely link the, the wrap up video in the show notes for so people can watch it. Cause clearly, you know, anybody listening can understand the level of complexity of these coins too. If they take about a day of beats or, you know, a little over that, like it's, right. it's not a simple go coin. No, no, it was. All in all, I mean, it was terrifying and experience, but in the end, it was it was fun. So, did you guys see return on that? Have you seen more adoption of those tools now? Yeah, I mean, we immediately got a bunch of inquiries that started a bunch of of testing. Again, this just wrapped up six months ago. This event and the testing process for the iguana is so long that. It, it definitely generated a lot of interest in the tool, but as far as big sales, those are, uh, there's, there's companies that use this tool for big manufacturing, 
but as far as wide reach of this tool, it hasn't, hasn't really been implemented yet full, but the interest is definitely there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like such a cool technology because I, going back to what you said about rounded cutting edges, like that's the reason that I use uncoated tools for all my finishing and like aluminum and, and things like that, because you do get significantly better finishes. Right. So if you could have a coated tool that gave me the same kind of finishes, that would be amazing. Yeah. And Marv is actually at Sesha two weeks ago or three weeks ago now. And we wanted to show some examples of, of surface finishes and melt a huge electrode out of copper with this coating and getting mirror finishes. And so we'll be releasing those videos and reports and everything within the next couple of weeks. It was really cool. Awesome. So you had also sent me notes that you guys are now starting to test outside of dental. Right. So alien tools. So what's the next frontier? Where are you guys going? The, the whole concept of, of alien tools and our focus on social media and the, the storytelling works so well that I had, uh, I was in Chicago with Stefan and we were talking about testing the alien tools idea on the industrial side. So they have this huge mold and dye line. And like I said, their, their focus has really been in Germany, Austria, Switzerland. They have so much business there that they don't really focus on export. And I said, we could expand because we're now set up for exports. You know, we have an export team that takes care of all that. And that's really our, our focus is making it as easy as possible to get the tools with the online shop and everything. And I said, we could test this idea, you know, on the, on the industrial side. And it was the perfect time to test that because we were in the US, we visited GF, we visited Kern, we visited Ölheld, and then we uh, also went to Freelux. So Ben from Freelux, oh, really? I was in his garage. It, it was awesome. And we asked the same questions there because it was always the thinking of if you're going to have, I mean, you could go through distributors and that's not really what I want to do. I feel like a lot of the passion the knowledge gets lost when it just becomes one product of, you know, a ton of stuff. Then it's just about, you know, the, the profit margin, not about actually, you know, enhancing the customer's experience. And I said, we can do direct and the thinking, the classic thing is, oh, you need the salespeople, you know, they need to be knocking on doors. And I said, no, 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 I, I hate when salespeople come here. <laughs> right. Yeah, I do. A, a few past guests and I have all lamented about distributors and like there's very few distributors that actually value add. Like usually, like yeah. you said, it's just about profit margin. And, you know, I, I end up doing all the work anyway, like finding the tools I want and then I have to wait for a quote. And it's like, yeah. I just want to be like, you know, at, at midnight, realize I need a tool and go to my computer and order it and have it show up whenever it needs to, you know? Right. Yeah. That. I I had been harping on that. And no, I mean, like what distributor is going to sell an iguana tool that lasts 3000 hours? That's right. not a distributor product. You know, they're, they don't want that the tools last that long. So I said, no, we don't have to go direct. And we could ask like Ben from Freelux and Ben was like, no, I, I despise salespeople when they come here. I know more than they do when they come <laughs> here. It just takes away time from my shop and my family. And I thought if we could, th this is also, <clears throat> I know some companies 
have started doing in the meantime, but years ago, I also avoided distributors as much as possible with the dental and sell direct wherever we can. And we launched an affiliate program two and a half years ago. So we tested it for six months because while it's not a new concept, it was a new concept in the industry. And I mean, our, I want to thank anyone who helps, you know, spread the word. So we have the loyalty program that was almost impossible or almost didn't happen in Germany because I wanted to not doing a simple cash back program is easy, but I wanted to, if you helped alien tools in any ways, you would get points to your, your account that you could, you know, use as cash from the shop. So if you posted on social media, if you recommended us to a friend, you know, all that stuff and the, that turned out to be extremely difficult. And then we launched the affiliate program. It's just for the people that say, you know, I want to recommend your tools and whatever comes. And it, it, it can't be like a one time if you send us a customer, you get 10 bucks. You're like, oh, great. Thanks. And so we introduced that, that concept that was really unheard of in that market. And that has really helped. And that's going to be our focus on, because I want to keep the direct line to the customer and through affiliate, it's perfect. You know, there's nothing better than, you know, asking a friend, you know, a tip on where to get this, you know, you believe that more than a salesperson whose paycheck is dependent on it. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, and especially I'd much rather ask somebody who's actually milling than like a salesman who either has never milled or it's been years since they were actually machining things. Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, why would I, why do I trust you? Like the last time you were doing this CNC was brand new, like, you right. know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, this would all be impossible if the product wasn't that good, but when you have the product that that's, that that's good or that is that good, you just have to get on the machine and then that person will know more about their machine and machining than I could ever learn in my life. And they know what works for them. And you just have to get to that point where they, they're willing to try it and then get them the tools. And then if there's problems, fast support. And for that, you don't need a massive sales team. Right. I don't think. Yeah, definitely. And then you had told me that you guys do all of your own merch and stickers and all of that in house too, right? Right. So you're, you're, you're making all of that, you know, by yourself more or less, or with, with your team. Right. That, that, that has been one of my hobbies forever. I started screen printing a long, long time ago. And this, this whole alien tools has just been an excuse so I can buy all the machines that I've always wanted. For me. <laughs> I'll let you in on a little secret. That's where why most of us have businesses. <laughs> Peter from Salvin said the same thing. We were laughing about that. It's just, I, we come up with new products, you know, or new stuff that we want to do in marketing just because I want a machine to be able to do that. <laughs> but it, it, that's, that's one of the reasons I think the alien tools has worked. Dentals, all the dental customers also see themselves as makers. So, and while I'm not a machinist, I show how much love goes into everything that goes out. I mean, we're printing our own stickers. We're cutting out vinyl and making out t-shirts and hoodies, printing posters. Like I just got 152 centimeter wide eco solvent printer. So I can now print on anything. And I did just recently, like, cause this grew over time, you know, and 
one of the last things that I really want to change was, was the packaging. Cause I think Nick last week said it very well when he was first talking about outsourcing his putter heads, you know, to come back. It's when you outsource something, it's not the same as if you did it yourself, you know, it's just, right. it's your company. You want it to be perfect. And that's always been a problem with packaging. You have the standard size boxes and then you try to find a solution. You know, most people just throw it in a bag or fill it with packing peanuts. And I wanted a solution that was clearly made for our tools. And if, if you're not ordering 10,000 boxes for, you know, a, a custom box, then it doesn't make any sense. So it makes development impossible or you're paying you know, several thousands just for development. And so that's why we got a huge flatbed plotter now. So we cut, we cut the cardboard, screen printed ourselves, cut the inserts, cut the wraps for the tools. It's, I'm so happy with it. It turned out so awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. But it's very clear how much you love the company and, and the business, which is really, it's always cool. I think for anybody in this industry to see somebody who actually enjoys what they're doing and it's not yeah. just like, yeah, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I don't, yeah. That's what I was trying to say about the, the makers. While it's a different making, you know, it's, it's not a day that speaks to them. I I have the whole room set up now and thinking about just doing, you know, live streams of how we make the different stuff just for the people that might find it interesting, interesting, just so it's not a constant commercial about, you know, how awesome our tools are, change it up. And I mean, that's what a trade show is great for, right? Let's see, you get to learn the people behind the company and live streams, an amazing way to do that on a bigger scale. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it, and I love like those kind of videos that are like soup to nuts. Like I think Red Bull racing did one a handful of years ago that was like the how a bolt gets made for their F1 car. Yep. And it was like, you know, from raw stock and like showed you going through all the steps and then, you know, installed on the car. Right. And yeah, I think everybody loves seeing the full process and understanding what goes into it. Right. Yeah. I did a, a time lapse of me doing the office or that uh, calling it until I have a better name, the creation station. So now that I have so many machines, I moved out. That used to be my office. So I moved into a smaller <laughs> office. Put all the That's machines in there. Have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it here. Cause I, I mean, he would, I, again, to reference Nick was talking about why he loves machining is cause he can literally make anything. And that, that's really is a nice part of having the technology to be able to do that stuff. Cause if you have an idea, then you could test it immediately. And then by making it yourself, you immediately figure out better ways to do it. So it's just constantly getting better. Definitely. So that's, well, let's see, we had a couple of questions for you from Instagram. Obsidian Tools asked, how much innovation in tool design is by tool manufacturers like Zesha versus how much is at the CNC grinder machine tool builder who actually make the tools and make the programming software and all of that? And it, it sounds like, you know, you were saying that Rollomatic can't even do what Zesha can do. So there, there's clearly some innovation there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like much like a lot of the innovation comes from customer requests where they say, I need to do this. So then we brainstorm and figure out different ways to solve that problem. The same thing goes 
up the chain, right? So if if the people standing on the machine say, oh, it'd be really nice to do this, then of course, Rollomatic is going to want to keep those those customers happy. So, I mean, innovation comes from from both sides. If it's if it's about like the difference between actually the design and how much freedom they have on the machine to change. Back in the back in the old days, used to have. Yeah, I love the story. The first time I heard it from them. So the the old Schleifereien, there would be a stage at the front of all the grinding machines, and there would be the white coats, and they were the ones that did all the technical drawings. And I mean, the creativity and just how how much intelligence and experience you'd need to do to just be able to calculate in your head and visualize through equations what the tool ends up looking like. So you make a machine. So the white cuts would sit in the front, do their drawings with all the calculations, and they'd give it to the blue coats. Blue coats would make copies and then sit there on, on the machine. And what, back then, a lot of the adjustment was done on the machine. So the, the grinder had to be extremely talented and the grinders, don't get me wrong, still extremely talented, but the, the software now is, you know, it's most of the innovation on that side comes from the R and D department and the, because they can simulate all that stuff rather than having to test to see what actually happens on the machine. Right. Okay. Well, let's see. Mickey sixth gear asked, when are they going to make the website better? Specifically the Zesha side. The whole catalog, it has the whole catalog, but says nothing about the strengths or use cases for different series. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that's true. I'm aware of this problem, but I, I also understand where it, where it comes from. The session is very, they've been doing it for 60 years and they have an external sales force and that's classically how you got the message out, you know, the the sales force would be the ones going to the shops, explaining, you know, what the advantage of the tools were on that machine and that specific thing. And this transformation to digital messaging, they're starting to, to understand. And we actually started a, a project that we pitched a couple months ago about an update to the, the session branding and marketing in, with my professor, Dr. Neighbor, we went down there and gave a big presentation. So that will get better. So that's all I, all I can say. And then from Car Curry PGH, you already answered what grinders are using, but what inspection equipment are you guys using for these tools? You said they're hundred percent inspected a couple times. So right on, I'd have to go, I'll get you the, the actual models of the machines. There's several microscopes on the floor. Then they, they have. The Phenon REM machine, I don't, I could send you the whole list. I do I have to check what exactly I can say for machines. Cause that's generally <laughs> one of the, that's generally one of the things that a competitor tries to copy. Gotcha. Is, okay. is the process, but uh, yeah, if, if it's allowed, then I'll follow up with, with the list. <laughs> okay. And then his other question was his employer insists on going to MSC first, but where would somebody get, what's the quickest way to get some of these cutters to the East coast of the USA? Right. It, it doesn't look like right now on our shop. So we have the now industrial side of alien tool shop. So mold and dye, if it's, it's available in the mold and dye lines, then it's in our shop. And right now it's all a placeholder image because 
my next annoying thing that I wanted. I didn't want pictures anymore of the tools. I want 3D renders where it's actually moving and actually where every tool is a, there's a close up on the cutting surface. So you can see exactly the geometry that has turned out to be more of a pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, quite the undertaking. It is a massive project. And they're not too happy with me in production because <laughs> they have to <laughs> e export that data. So it's just the next annoying thing that makes them hate me. But that's going to start changing. So all those tools that are on the site, even though it's a placeholder image right now, they're all available in anything in the Tsesha catalog. You can ask us and we can organize anything from the Tsesha. We were able to offer the whole portfolio that they have and export it. Okay. What, what's the best way to contact Alien Tools then? For they can write me directly at travis.lear at alien-tools.com. Okay, great. And that brings us on to shop news and new things. So is there anything new coming down the pipeline soon that you can share or is it all under wraps? The, yeah, there's so many awesome things on the, well, the new here in our shop is the flatbed plotter. So I, I spent 17,000 euros on a flatbed plotter <laughs> just to cut <laughs> material and I use it all day, every day. So I'm finally able to make my own boxes and it, I mean, it's two feet by three feet. So it's, it's really big. As far as tool lines we have in the dental fields, the, the most popular material in the dental field is, is lithium disilicate and you can't mill it. You have to grind it. So you, you need grinding pins to do this. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. And grinding pins are classically a problem. No one makes a really, really good grinding pin that lasts a long time. So we have one project working on that, that looks really good. Then we have another solution for maybe possibly the ability to mill the material. And that's a huge part of the next big thing coming from Sesha. I have to check how much I could say about this, but it's, they're going to show it at the AMB trade show in September and Marv knows about it. He also was upset that he couldn't share it because <laughs> as, as we were doing all the filming for when me and Marv were there a couple weeks ago, when Marv and I were there, apologies, the, there was a bunch of those tools that they had been testing the days before that we had to hide and we we're, uh, but it, that's the next level of 3d lasering. Okay. Very so cool. not, not just the coding anymore. So that, oh that's. Boy. That's going to be a big one. And Sasha's always working on projects. There's one where they're developing or they're working with a company that's developing a new way to diamond coat tools that Ooh. looks very promising. So very cool. A lot of, a lot of stuff coming out, but I mean, in, in general, as far as the future of, of tooling, cause we get the question all the time, are we worried about 3d printing and I'm sure you know exactly why the reason, the reason why Tsesha would be the last one to be worried about it's because the, the precision, uh, 3d printing will take away, take away the roughing work, right. you know, because it's going to be hard for material sales because a lot of what they sell ends up being chips. So they're going to lose that. But as far as the finishing, you still, it's going to be a long, long time before they're within, you know, one micron. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, what keeps coming up basically every time we talk about this on, on the show is that like, I see 3d printing is going hand in hand with machining. Like yeah. it, it, it removes a lot of the extraneous prototyping, getting to the point where you want to mill your first actual prototype. Right. Like, you know, there's so many times that people design things and print it and you're like, oh, this is absolute garbage. Like it doesn't right. look anything <laughs> like I thought doesn't nowhere near the size I thought it was, you know, we, we all get that part parallax when you're designing something in CAD. And you're like, oh, this thing's huge. And then you go and make it. And you're like, oh, it's like <laughs> yeah. a quarter inch cube or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I, I see it as very much a hand in hand relationship and not a one taking over the other's business. Right. And, uh, and so naturally the focus is going to be on more precision, the micro tooling and yeah, just lucky that the company has been set up that way and they've been working on exactly that for the last 60 years, getting ready yeah. for this. <laughs> Movement. It's amazing. Well, that brings me to the last question I ask every guest, which is what did you research this week? And it can be, it doesn't need to be machining related. doesn't need to be business related. I've had people talk about, you know, baby stuff. I've had people talk about car stuff. It, it really is whatever has been popping up in your browser all week. I don't, I'll give the boring business answer first. The, I'm really trying to figure out which high speed camera to buy. Of course okay. I want the a phantom or something yeah the phantom but i don't have an extra 170 grand you know? right and we were playing with marvin's i had actually found that before i knew marvin had that before he started posting those slow-mo videos the one from canada mm -hmm. and we got some really cool videos but i want the ultra slow motion and i know edgertronic and i from I, do you know you know the video series breaking taps yeah 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 he has an I had him on the show not too long ago. Zach. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I missed it. He has an Edgertronic, but I know it from baseball. Okay. Could, uh, they use it to analyze spin and and pitching. And so we're looking at that and or between the free fly wave. I don't know. Uh, that one I think I've heard of. I feel like it came up recently in some search I was doing. I don't, I don't think you get the frame rate up to where you can actually see the cutting edge i don't i don't know it's so i spent a lot of time on that and then what's been our big problem oh we there's a, a war going on in europe right now you might have heard yeah, vaguely. <laughs> my my <laughs> wife's i mean we work too much so we can't get a dog or anything we used to have a dog when we when we lived in seattle but we just work too much and not be fair for a dog here so as a as a middle ground, my wife has joined this group on Facebook where we cat sit and dog sit for people that go on vacation. This is recently new. Uh, so I'd come home from work on Friday and there'd just be a cat. And I'm not a cat person <laughs> at all. Uh, <laughs> and, and then recently there's this Ukrainian woman in Berlin that drives every couple of weeks to different shelters around the Ukraine. And just rescues as many cats as she can. So she just fills up her cars with cats, brings them back to Berlin and finds homes for them. And we had said that we would be a temporary home for a cat. And there's this one cat that she cannot find a home for because it's very antisocial. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like you own a cat now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I've been looking up how to nurse a scared cat back to trusting humans. Okay. So, How's it going? Not well. 
it, uh, I mean, the, the kids, so our two kids are 11 and seven. They can pet the cat, surprisingly. It spent the first two days under our bed, didn't cut, came out to eat, and then went right back. And then now it hangs around the house, but our, my kids are allowed to pet it. But if you put your hand out, it just runs away. Oh, we'll see. I just felt so bad for, I'm not a cat person, but I kind of feel bad for this cat person or for this cat. And yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. Well, good on you guys for, for housing it. It's definitely, I think one of those things that's like completely overlooked when something like a war oh, breaks yeah. out, you know, you don't even think about all the animals and things like that. So yeah. that's good on you guys. That's great. Yeah. We'll see. Well, Travis, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I really appreciate it. I, I had seen alien tools. I feel like maybe Ed Kramer was using some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, that was my first exposure to it, but I really didn't know. I, like I said, I didn't know anything about Zaysha and I knew a little bit about alien, but it's been really cool to hear all the innovation and all the work that goes be behind it. And I, I really look forward to seeing more from you guys. Yeah. Thanks for letting me overtell the story. No, that's perfect. <laughs> thanks to all the Patreon members that make this show possible. And thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back next week.